Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We can go to Jesus and he will give us counsel. He will speak to us. He will show us how to overcome problems and difficulties. And he will give us wisdom on how to navigate life and, and all of that. So, but, but the bigger context is he's going to do that for the nations. That's the context of it here. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 7 through 12. Now here's Pastor Brian. I mean, they would completely ignore Matthew's statement about it, obviously, but they would say this isn't really prophesying a virgin birth. They, they weren't thinking in those terms at the time. But that's exactly what they were thinking, and this is how we know. They, that's, what, that's what Isaiah meant. That's what was understood. And we know that because when the book of Isaiah was translated into Greek, in Greek, they used the word that, mean, that can only mean a virgin, Parthenos. And so the translators understood the word to mean not just a young woman, but a young woman who had not had a sexual relationship. So that would be, of course, the prophecy that there would be this miraculous birth that would take place. And so it was fulfilled in um, the, the near fulfillment was in Isaiah's time, but then, of course, the ultimate fulfillment would be with the birth of Jesus. So this is, this is beginning now, this uh, string of messianic prophecies that Isaiah gives. So as we just go on um, with the rest of the chapter here, we don't need to read over each of these verses. This is just talking about um, the fact that time, times are going to be difficult uh, the eating of the curds and the honey was a reference to uh, sparsity in the land. And it goes on in verse 23 to make that clear that in a place of a thousand vines, um, it's going to become thorns and briars and so forth. So, so there's hard times coming upon the nation. So picking up in chapter 8, Then the Lord said to me, to Isaiah, Take a large piece of parchment and write on it with an ordinary pen, Mahir Shalah Hashbaz. I have appointed trustworthy witnesses, the priest Uriah and Zechariah, the son of Jeberechiah. I was then, Isaiah says, intimate with my wife, the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. The Lord said to me, name him Mahir Shalah Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to call father or mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria will be carried off to Assyria. So the name means um, speeding to plunder or hurrying to spoil. So you see, here's Isaiah with his sons, and they're, they're like a, um, they're a witness themselves. Their, their very names are like, 
uh, a reminder to the people of what God is going to do. And so as he goes on, he is telling the people why the judgment is going to come. The Lord spoke to me in verse 5 here. He says, he spoke to me because these people rejected the slowly flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoiced with resin, the son of Remaliah and the son of Remaliah, the Lord will certainly bring against them a mighty rushing water of the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria and all his glory. So because of the alliance that Israel made with, with Damascus, God says he's going to bring a judgment upon those people. And then he goes down and just further detail about that. But I want, I want us to pick up in verse 11 and look at what he says. In verse 11, he says, for this is what the Lord said to me. He said this to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this people. So the way of this people is a reference to the way the people were all uh, basically just having no faith. They were, they were filled with fear. They were not trusting God. Isaiah says, God spoke to me in, in a way, such a powerful way to keep me from falling under that same kind of thing. And so he said in verse 12, do not call everything a conspiracy. These people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. So God says to Isaiah, you fear me. Don't, don't, the, the, you know, the people were coming up with all of these conspiracies, all these theories about what was going to happen because they weren't trusting God. So all they could think of is it's just, oh, it's going to be the absolute worst. And, you know, this conspiracy theory after that conspiracy theory, and we need to do this and we need to make sure that we've safeguarded ourselves against that, you know, all, all of this kind of stuff. And the Lord says to Isaiah, don't do that. You trust me. Don't fear their predictions. You fear me. And then he says, speaking of the Lord, he will be a sanctuary. But for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over these, they will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it should if you've read First Peter, because Peter quotes this very thing. And this passage is referred to on a number of occasions in the New Testament. Um, remember Simeon, when Simeon speaks of... Um, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that will be spoken against. So the Lord is, he's the stumbling block. And then Jesus himself said that he was the stone over which people would stumble. And he said, um, whoever stumbles over this stone will be broken. On whoever this stone lands, it will crush them to powder. So Jesus becomes the, 
the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy that he becomes the stumbling block for Israel. And so in Isaiah's day, the people were likewise stumbling over the Lord. They were not believing in his promise. And so verse 16 says, bind up the testimony, seal up the instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. So Isaiah is alone. He's got the promises of God and he's calling people to trust in the Lord along with him. And so when he says, bind up the testimony, seal up the instruction among my disciples and wait for the Lord, he's talking about the, the promises that will come and the fact that they are to trust God for the promises. And so again, when you look at the, the long-term fulfillment it wasn't until the Lord Jesus came that then the clarity came and the people trusted in him. But the passage here, verse 18, here am I and the children the Lord has given me, you will find this passage in Hebrews. In Hebrews, uh, the author quotes this passage and applies it to Jesus as well. So, Again, you see the, the messianic element here in Isaiah. And so going on, just a few more verses here in chapter 8. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn, there will be no light that will rise for them. If they do not speak of this word and testimony. So we can take that. It's a, it was the word that Isaiah had spoken, but of course, Isaiah is speaking God's word. So we can take that same thing and we can apply it today. We can stand on that today that if we respond to God's instruction and his testimony, then we have that promise of light. We have that promise of understanding. But for those who refuse to do that, there is no light. There is no dawn that will come. It's only going to be darkness. And so they will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will be come enraged, looking upward, will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and gloom, the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. So here again, we enter into this prophecy. And so there's a, a day of um, light that's going to dawn, 
And the region is the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, these were two of the tribes, right? They were two of the sons of Jacob. They were allotted a portion of the land. And the land they were allotted um, included this, the area of the Galilee. And now notice what it says here. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So this, this is the prophecy that there would be a great light that would dawn in the region of Galilee. And so in the past, that whole area was trampled under the foot of the foreigners. But in the future, that would be the place that the light would dawn. And this is the prophecy of the area that Jesus would come from. It's interesting because in John's gospel, I think it's chapter 7, 7, 8, somewhere around there. There's that part, I think it's chapter 7 where there's this dispute among the, uh, the leaders because they sent, remember, they sent the, the officers to arrest Jesus. And they came back without him. And they said, where is he? And they said, well, no one ever spoke like this man. And, they, and then the, the rulers, they were enraged. They said, what, are you out of your mind? You know, have any of the Pharisees believed in him? But, but these these simple people, these uneducated people, they're, they're the only ones that believe in him. Look and see. No prophet comes out of Galilee. Search for yourself. That's what they said. What did they think about Isaiah 9? I've always wondered that. <laughs> what do you mean? No, no, no prophet comes out of Galilee. Well, something's going to happen in Galilee. There's, there's going to be a great light that shines. And of course, that is the place where Jesus based his ministry. That is where the place where after his birth in Bethlehem and his brief time in Egypt, that is the place that Joseph and Mary came back to. Nazareth was a city in Galilee. And then, of course, Jesus set up his headquarters, right, literally on the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. But another thing about that, and I've shared this before, but another thing about that, at the time of Jesus... This was now, and it had been for a really long time because this was the area that the Assyrian king would have repopulated with all of the different people groups. And it was just a thoroughly Gentile region with some pockets of Jewish communities, but it was dominant, not dominated by Greeks and Romans. And the cities called the Decapolis, which are the 10 cities on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, those were all... Hellenistic cities. And all that to say, they were centers of idolatry and demon worship. And so this area, the reason why the prophet speaks of it as a people walking in darkness, it is, and the land of darkness, it's because it's the, the part of the land that is, it is dominated by the powers of darkness. So Jesus sets up his base of operation kind of right in the devil's backyard is really what it is. He goes right to the epicenter of those powers and he sets up and Jesus made the darkness tremble. That's what happened. When he came to Galilee, 
the darkness trembled. And we see it over and over again. And, you know, think about it. Most of the cases of demonic possession that Jesus dealt with, they were in that region. That's where it was taking place. So it's just a reminder. When we go on the trip to Israel, one of the great moments is when we go up to Mount Arbel. And Mount Arbel is this wonderful plateaued area that overlooks the whole Galilee and that whole valley there. And you can just sit up there and just get this amazing picture of what it would have been like during the time of Jesus. But the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, a great light. So this is the prophecy. You've enlarged the nation, increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time. So talking about the the future blessing that's going to come and... Verse four, you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of the oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian, just when God overthrew the Midianites back in the time of Gideon, and every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So here's the great prophecy. Now, remember the the previous prophecy. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given. Undoubtedly, this is connected. This is right. Uh, This is the ongoing prophecy of Isaiah. So it starts in what we know as chapter 7, verse 14, but it carries on right here into more detail about the son. Remember, he's to be called Emmanuel. And what does it say here? He's to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So it's just an elaboration. It's just more detail that's given to what was previously stated there in the seventh chapter. Now, my friend um, Ray Ortland, he said this, and I thought this was just a great little thing to think about, speaking about the Lord as the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Ray said this, he said, he said, look at Jesus As the wonderful counselor, he has the best ideas and strategies. Let's follow him. As the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. Let's hide behind him. As the everlasting father, he loves us endlessly. Let us enjoy him. And as the prince of peace, he reconciles us while we were still his enemies. Let's welcome his dominion. I thought those were great little things to just put together there around these statements. So these are verses that I think most of us are familiar with. But you know, if you don't have yet these prophecies underlined in your Bible, underline them and highlight them and memorize them because they are just so wonderful. And they're wonderful to meditate on. But you know, they're also, they're great tools to share with people when you get opportunities to talk to them about the Lord. 
because they're very, you know, they're very descriptive of who Jesus is. He's the, the child that was born. He's the son that was given. And then he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But one thing I want us to just see is notice the context is these massive forces, these, these powerful armies that are just wrecking havoc everywhere. The, uh, you know, uh, the Syrians and the, and the Israelites combine together. And then the Assyrians coming to crush and destroy and take authority over. This is the context of all of this. And what is God going to do? Well, he's going to send a child. I think that's amazing. The child. How is God going to defeat all of this? How is he going to secure the victory for Israel? A child is going to be born. But the child that is born is the son that is given. And the son, of course, is none other than God's son. And that's why he is the wonderful counselor. And, you know, in the, in the context here, because he goes on, the dominion will be vast. Or the other translation, the older translation, is the, of the increase of, of his government and his kingdom, there will be no end. So the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So we see the context of this is his worldwide dominion. So even though we can take personal comfort and consolation in the fact that he is the wonderful counselor, meaning that we can go to Jesus and he will give us counsel. He will speak to us. He will show us how to overcome problems and difficulties. And he'll give us wisdom on how to navigate life and, and all of that. So, but, but the bigger context is he's going to do that for the nations. That's the context of it here. The mighty God, the bigger context, we can have confidence in him as the mighty God, but the bigger context is this word here, the Hebrew word speaks of God as a warrior. So the Hebrew is two words, El Gibor. And you have different, you know, you have El Shaddai, which means God is the provider. And you have a number of different combinations, the, the title God, and then you have other things attached to that. And so here, the picture is of God as a warrior. So he's a mighty warrior, meaning again, that he will defeat every foe. And then he's the eternal father. He's the, the one who is over all of the ages is the idea there. It doesn't mean he's God the father, he's God the son. It means he's over all of the ages. And then he's the prince of peace. He's the one that is the embodiment of peace. And because of who he is, that peace will fill the earth. And this is the great promise that everyone is waiting for, but nobody knows it. Everybody's hoping for it, wondering if it's gonna come about. Some people are striving to try to make it happen the way they think it, it's gonna happen. But this is what he's gonna do. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Jesus History? by Dr. John Dixon. How do we know that Jesus was in fact a historical person? Can we really know anything about ancient history with certainty? In his book, Is Jesus History? Historian John Dixon answers those very questions. He presents the evidence for the historical existence of Jesus in a clear manner, so the reader can make their own conclusions based upon the evidence. Dr. John Dixon addresses the conclusions of mainstream scholars, both Christian and non-Christian. He also examines the contemporary significance of Jesus' claims if someone concludes that he did in fact exist. If you want to know about the historical evidence for the existence of Jesus, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon. And when you give the gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.